This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 R FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Dr Andrew McGregor. Andrew is a lecturer in French studies at the University of Melbourne and he joined me in the studio to talk about the life and cinematic legacy of French New Wave auteur Claude Chabrol. Our discussion coincides with the Melbourne Cinematheque season, The Unblinking Gaze of Claude Chabrol. It's so exciting that I now get to speak with Dr Andrew McGregor, who has come in for a second time. So I didn't scare him the first time, which is great. I really enjoyed the first chat that I had with uh, Andrew and Roberta Chabara, and we were talking about the wonderful Jean-Luc Godard, who is probably the best known of the French New Wave auteurs. He certainly uh, has a high degree of confidence and uh, bravado potentially but he actually backs it up really I don't think there's many people who really could back it up but Jean-Luc Godard has released a new film which is great called The Image Book and we will briefly touch on that but we are really going to be talking about Claude Chabrol who is just a fantastic contributor and maybe an unsung hero I think of the French New Wave so I'm delighted now to welcome Dr Andrew McGregor who is lecturer in French studies at Melbourne University hello Hello, Amy. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure. And I just had such a great time talking about this great movement, this invigorating movement of cinema, which continues to live on and inspire. And I was surprised to know that Claude Chabrol lived until 2010. So Yes. Yes, yeah, and very prolific. We're still making films up until fairly recently. Absolutely. It was roughly one per year, actually, which is incredible. It's insane. Um, probably, perhaps one of the most prolific directors of that era, still going strong. Well, I just I printed out his IMDb list because it's so long. It's I didn't long. think I'd actually... Yeah, it's about three pages just of his directing, not, mm. not of anything else. And he was known to support others in the movement with directing and other other parts or aspects of filmmaking. Absolutely. He was there right from the beginning. So he was amongst the group consisting of Jean-Luc Godard, as you mentioned, François Truffaut. Um, funnily enough, we just screened uh, Godard's first uh, feature film, A bout de souffle, Breathless, at Melbourne Uni for our French study students um, just last week, actually. What was their response? I'm just curious. Their response was fantastic. And I think what's yeah. so wonderful about this new wave is that there's still this, this real kind of freshness about it. And as you mentioned, the legacy continues. There are so many various homages back to this movement, the experimental nature of it, and just that kind of revitalization of what a director does. And what's intriguing is that they all kind of managed to find each other at this time, but they all managed to bring to the, the screen their own kind of signature style. I mean, we know yeah. very well, as you mentioned, Godard, there's also Truffaut, which is kind of like a Beatles and Rolling Stones thing where people, you know, they just have such a... Uh, such masses of adoring fans and it's almost like a cult following and Chabrol has, has not not enjoyed the same amount of um, kind of veneration as those other two but he's certainly worthy and I'm thrilled to bits that the Melbourne Cinematheque has, uh, has got this retrospective on for us to enjoy. Same. Mm. I'm not going to take any credit for it but when Melbourne Cinematheque put out their survey at the end of last year and said, which filmmakers do you want to see? I filled it out and said Chabrol. <laughs> and fantastic. I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only person who did that. Yep. But I was so excited then when they did do it because he just, it's, well, first of all, it's hard to access his films. Mm. Some of them, the better known ones are semi-accessible like uh, The Butcher and Les Cousins and um, Les Biches. There's, that's 
a little bit easier, but mm. some of these others that the Cinematheque is showing, you cannot get on DVD. Yes. And uh, it's not on YouTube, not that you would want to ruin a great film by watching it on YouTube and also doing the wrong thing. Mm. Um, so this is just great that they're making these films accessible. Um, it certainly is. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about... Claude Chabrol, like mm. the formative years of, sure. and how he influenced the movement. Mm. I'll just give a little bit of a background for people. He was born in Paris in 1930, so between the two world wars. He, I was surprised to know, ran a film club in a barn in the village in which he grew up in Sardin. And after World War II, he studied pharmacy, which his dad insisted on. Mm. Um, and then amazingly ran into in these various cinematheques and the Club du Quartier Latin and he ran into Truffaut, Godard, uh, Roman, all those great... Yes, what a bunch to bump into. Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're an aspiring filmmaker. So jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. It's just like that um, serendipity of the time that they yeah. happened to be together. And yes, they did help each other out and Chabrol was the first to get a, a feature film up and running thanks to inherit an inheritance he received thanks to his first wife, wife actually, yeah. um, and then was able to also assist the others. So he was actually an advisor on Breathless for Godard, mm -hmm. which is pretty amazing, and Truffaut kind of sketched a couple of pages of a, of a script that Godard you know, eventually kind of improvised from. So they were all kind of involved with each other at that stage and then yeah. went pretty much, very much, in fact, their separate ways. And in terms of their various collaborations, as you say, it's to different extents and different points in their career, but they mm. did have this common ground around film criticism. Yes. And Chabrol is known for his study of Alfred Hitchcock and many people make comparisons with Hitchcock because of his focus on mystery, thriller, murder, all of these really um, deeply tense scenes mm. there's so much more going on than just that though absolutely socially there's yes, a lot going on definitely but it's it, just to get back to the actual filmmaking angle yeah. i mean it's it's incredible the role that hitchcock played in inspiring all of those characters from the new wave um he, he teamed up with eric romer who was another one from the time uh, on a book on hitchcock and of course it was Truffaut who did one of the definitive volumes on hitchcock himself mm. so there was certainly even though there was very much this idea of reinventing the cinema there was also this this kind of legacy that they were drawing from as well and drew a lot of inspiration from Hitchcock and, in Chabot's case, Fritz Lang and a lot of other ones, Clouseau as well. Yes, Lang definitely, yeah. yeah. And there's a special journal that um, a range of those auteurs contributed to and really created. Mm. It was the Cahier du Cinema. That's right. Did I say that Cahier right? du Cinema. Yeah, Perfect, Cahier Amy. du Cinema. <laughs> it's been a while since <laughs> I studied French at, at uni. But it, that is so amazing that they yes. create... Like, it's not, they didn't go, oh, let's just contribute to something. Let's just go create stuff. Exactly. And they were so creative with a, such a small amount of resources. Exactly. At the time, fortunately, there was enough of a kind of technological evolution at the time that allowed them to do that. So the budgets were drastically reduced and they were able to get enough financing to, to make their films out in the street, kind of filming life as they saw it and getting things out of the studio, out of that idea that films are all about kind of theatrical adaptations of big literary texts. So it was a real kind of spirit of freedom and youth as well, a real mm. genuine reinvention of the cinema. And if we place Chabrol's first film in the timeline of mm. French New Wave, he's pretty much right at the start. Absolutely. Le Beau Serge, or yes. Serge, mm -hmm. uh, in 1957. Mm. So... 
what was his role? Was he, every director formed their own style and their own kind of themes. Yep. But what do you think Chabrol's influence was on the others in terms of his pioneering work? I think it probably was in terms of the legacy there because, I mean, a lot of those early films, uh, even Breathless, you could count among them, is drawing from that, they're kind of drawing from that Hollywood film noir um, legacy as well. So I think they weren't afraid of kind of adopting and adapting genres. Um, even though, funnily enough, auteur cinema, because they're all now regarded as auteurs, is often kind of opposed to genre filmmaking. But that's actually mm. a bit of a, um, you know, it's a, it's a red herring in a way because they are, in fact, masters at reinventing genres and working with structures that people are familiar with. Now, someone like Godard has moved right away from that and that's kind of his trademark. But with Chabrol, I think just in, in reading some other reactions to his work, it's quite interesting that he doesn't stand out in quite the same way in terms of reinventing cinema and constantly experimenting, but he's actually able to achieve his, his aims in a, in a different way, which is to, is to really kind of um, tap into the preoccupations of the predominantly bourgeois audience and really skewer them at the same time. So he's, yeah. he's an expert at kind of biting the hand that feeds him. He is. He's, he's so unique, I feel. And I've read, I was actually reading, like I'm going to hold this up so no one can see it on radio, but you can, Andrew. Yes. Um, this extremely vintage copy of The New Wave by James Monaco, mm. which is amazing from the Rowden White Library, that wonderful student union library. But it was so interesting to read some of the things that people have said and considered about mm. Chabrol and some people have said he's had this reputation for being one of the most if not the most quote-unquote commercial of the new wave directors has that assumption or you know I think it's not quite true to me mm. I don't maybe it was at the time but it doesn't seem all that commercial maybe in comparison to Jean-Luc Godard sure. it is but what are, you, what are your thoughts on that assessment of his commercial appeal yeah I think that's a little bit unfair and a bit inaccurate yeah. um, he certainly wasn't part of the the big budget movement you know, like the big booming cinema of the 1980s even though he has in fact done adaptations I mean Madame Bovary was one of his most critically successful films as well so he's not afraid of trying different things as far as that's concerned some of them were, were kind of on demand, actually, some mm -hmm. of those works. But I think what, what is particular about Chabrol is that he's kind of like this reassuring centre of French cinema. He's like the go-to person. I remember going yeah. to see one of his films in the late 80s with my mum at the Brighton Bay Cinema, <laughs> which is the perfect place for that kind of audience that, he's yeah. really, that he really wants to get stuck into. Um, with all due respect to our listeners from Brighton, of course. And, um, <laughs> from Brighton. <laughs> exactly. Brighton, yeah. And I think that's, that's really where you can, you can look at his, at his body of work and say, well, yes, he was actually very much a specialist. You mentioned before that, you know, in terms of, of, of his, if, if you wanted to identify a genre, it probably would be the kind of crime thriller. Mm. But it's really a study of, of social mores and practices. And, um, you know, a film like um, La Cérémonie, for example, from the late... Um, from the mid-90s uh, with Sandrine Bonner and um, Isabelle Huppert, two remarkable actresses. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's like a kind of overly, slightly melodramatic style and often some critics of Chabrol have said that he has a fairly kind of distanced approach to what we're looking at. And he's a fairly theatrical style, but I think that's quite deliberate, that we're not able to really engage with the characters. We're not really, we don't find them endearing. Mm. We find ourselves observing them 
and this is almost the, the, like the classic Chabot clinical approach of watch these bourgeois <laughs> play out their little social practices and ceremonies, and I think the title is actually playing on that, um, with obviously devastating consequences as we see. Yes. So it's about role playing. It's about looking at how we actually perform a role in our day-to-day lives. And when I say us, it's the bourgeois audience that Mm -hmm. he's referring to. Um, And even though he was probably more bourgeois than the bourgeois, really, I mean, he enjoyed you know a very comfortable lifestyle he loved to eat there was there's often eating in his films yeah very lush surrounds etc so he kind of revels in it but he really is taking an axe to it at the same time especially the idea that there is this this sense of elitism or superiority over others and in that sense he really is very much a revolutionary are you I, you've just taken the words out of my mouth. Thank you for saying that. Because I was, um, maybe you were too, watching Last Ceremony last night. Yes, until the early hours of the morning. Same. <laughs> and loving every minute yeah, of it. Yeah, it was hard to stop. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, well, it looks like we both lost sleep. And, uh, well, it was, it's exactly what you say. It's this class conflict and tension that mm. is kind of simmering constantly. Yes. And... And you did feel like a fly on the wall. You didn't really feel invested in the characters, really, mm. but you were just going, oh, I wonder what they're thinking and meaning. And, you know, <laughs> is she really an arsonist? And has she killed her dad? And, you know, like exactly. it, you're kind of going, mm, maybe she's like a serial killer. And you're just constantly mm. you're intrigued and trying to pick up on exactly. what's going to happen. And, and But I think what you picked up on is the class distinctions is pretty mm. clear in La Ceremony where it's just where it's pretty, you know, it's a maid. They call yes. her the maid and they even have this discussion about what should we call her and everyone's quite, I mean, they really dehumanise her in mm. a way. She's just someone who's going to do the cleaning and the cooking and it's and even the younger son, that younger son mm. who's not even maybe barely a teenager is saying, but is she good looking? Exactly. <laughs> and no one's, the mother or the father didn't say that's inappropriate or, you that's know, right. that's not what a, <laughs> what the feature of any good person would be is whether they're exactly. good looking. And it's done with such subtlety that yeah. it doesn't appear that abnormal. So what he's trying to say is that this is actually going on all the time in this kind of very comfortable middle-class environment where these prejudices are played out on a daily basis. And, you know, as in the case of La Ceremonie, with devastating consequences, I presume that this is a spoiler-free zone, Amy, so I, I'll leave that one up to the audience. Probably. To. <laughs> Only because this one's it's part worth of... It's anyway. Yeah, it's part of the Cinematheque lineup. Yes, so I won't spoil that one. that one. Yes. Yeah, but it, it is... It's that idea also that the maid character has this real struggle with learning. She has this particular learning difficulty Mm. and that also even more reinforces the disconnect that exists and the lack of compassion or even awareness Mm. of other people. Definitely. And and she's ashamed of that as well. And she's attempting to hide it. And I think that's also indicative of what's going on with the family itself. There's this veneer of normality and everyone looks very comfortable in their own kind of positions. But as soon as you, and this is classic Chabot as well, as soon mm. as you introduce an intruder, and in this case it's Sophie the maid, um, all hell breaks loose and all those kind of conventions and all the ceremony and rituals start to come to pieces. And this yes. happens so frequently in his films and it's quite fascinating to behold. 
and it really is I guess a bit of a it's holding up a bit of a mirror for the audience as well to realize well actually you know this is I can identify with what I'm seeing here even though I'm looking at it from you know the safe distance of a Shabal movie and it's great too the way you know in terms of his camera movement and all the rest of it he doesn't kind of shy away from fairly you know obvious camera moves and he's kind of reminding us at the same time that we are watching a spectacle that you know this is a film Shabol is there and this is the particular subject that he's analyzing so in terms of us kind of losing ourselves in the film mm. it's not really an option um, I think you have to be actively thinking. You do. You, you just, do, absolutely. If you're cerebral, if anyone listening is cerebral, you're just going to love this film. If you, if <laughs> exactly. You, it's not, you're not going to suspend your disbelief necessarily and be mm, immersed in right. France. You're going exactly. to be like, wow. Yes. And yep. and it's so true, as you say, that it is. it has a freshness and it has a relevance in terms mm. of this bourgeoisness and the class divisions that still exist. And yes. what is so obvious is really towards the end of the film where the family is watching Don Giovanni, <laughs> an opera, and they even have <laughs> the <television>. score. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <that's right. laughs> like it's pretty amazing. But that mm. said, it's probably not that far from how some that's people right. used to and perhaps still do mm. live. Yes. And in and of itself, it's not bad, but the way that that all plays out. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's that's that kind of disturbing edge. And there's always a disturbing edge in there somewhere with a Shabal film. And I think that's really his his talent. When you look at the, the you know, the collection of, of works that he's put out and there's so much of it out there. I think if you're looking for a legacy, that would be it. This kind of really somewhat comforting and reassuring familiarity that he mm. eventually undoes in one way or another often by the introduction of a, you know, a third wheel, as it were. Yeah. And some people have called him the film noir in colour guy, you know, yes. so, <laughs> which is also probably really oversimplistic. I think, it's, I think it's good. I mean, he's having fun with it. That's the yeah. other thing. You know, this is not kind of... It does kind of demand a certain degree of active interaction on the part of the spectator, but mm. it's not overly cerebral to the no, point no. of it being, you know, it's kind not of like opaque. highbrow and like That's oh, right. oh, yeah, I can't understand what's going on. It's yeah. very accessible. That's right. It's kind of like us having a laugh at ourselves. He's yeah. certainly laughing somewhere behind the camera. That's for sure. And a lot of people have said that he didn't really take himself seriously, mm. and he often disparaged his own work. And people would say um, or ask him questions about. Uh, literary quotations in his films such as Balzac in Le Boucher and he would say I'll be truthful it's to give them substance I need a degree of critical support for my films to succeed without that they can fall flat on their faces so what do you have to do you have to help the critics over their notices right so I give them a hand <laughs> that's great <laughs> that's rather a luxury you'd have to be in that position already to be able to make films in that way but that's exactly I guess that's part of the fun of it as well that you know he had his system going he was so prolific and the same could be said for Godard as well I mean how on earth would anyone be able to make the kinds of films that Godard is still making now without his background without his name and fame yeah absolutely and if we're talking about this broader movement because I know you at the moment are teaching an entire Mm. subject about French cinema and French New Wave does feature quite substantially yes we did hint at the fact that there are differing styles between the directors, differing genres that they focus on, Mm. Goddard being um, sometimes or most often the most experimental in terms of Mm. style and, like, cinematic techniques. Yes, and possibility. Yeah, Yeah. and and it's 
like a lot of his movies are very political, even if they're not overtly political. There's just a deep political thread of 1960s or 1970s protest and Absolutely. you know against de Gaulle, Vietnam. And I think that his style really suits that, like mm. social commentary or political exploration. And as we see in all of the films, human nature. Yes. Um, but with his new film, let's just bring that in because mm. I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Mm. It's in the cinemas right now, which is great. Presumably you may have already seen it. I have seen it, thanks to the French Film Festival. Very hard to get hold of. Yeah. Um, um, so, yes, that's it's it's not surprising. It's it's actually quite difficult to, to go and have a look at it. And even once you're there, it's actually quite a difficult experience. Um, I went to have a look at... Um, I just kind of chose a session at random and my two or three experiences of seeing the latest Godard film at a festival, whether it's the French Film Festival or Melbourne International Film Festival, uh, at least half the room left after about 10 really? or 15 minutes. So you've got your hardcore wow. Godard fans yeah. and you've got others who just want to see a French film in the French festival who uh-huh. had no idea. And I think that's, that's typical of Godard these days because he, does, he doesn't want that kind of an audience. Um, it's a much more no, it's religious... it's not Gérard Depardieu. It's not. It's <laughs> not going to be Jean de Florette or anything like that or those big 80s productions. Yeah. Um, so this is a very different experience and it, it really does make one ask oneself, what, you know, going back to the 1950s and André Bazin's famous question, what is cinema? What mm. is the point of making films and going to the cinema and watching films? And Godard is so out there. He's tending more and more towards total abstraction. Mm. Um, so very, very different from the kinds of films that Truffaut was making, that's for sure. So without, even though there is that personal element there because you've got Godard's politics all the way through it. Um, I mean, yeah. there's, no, there's no narrative here. There are no actors. There's no actual film production going on. This is all kind of found footage and existing footage pieced together because these are the images that we're dealing with these days. And when I saw the film, I was actually mm. thinking of things like YouTube and the fact that we are so saturated with media right now. And I think Godard is, he didn't mention it directly, but I think kind of tapping into that idea that we're trying to piece together me- meaning from fragments. And that's where he calls into play this kind of Brechtian idea that um, there's more authenticity in a fragment than in the whole. So it's a fascinating wow. piece of work, yeah. but it takes some real intellectual endeavour to try and make sense of it. It's certainly not filmmaking for everyone. And that's... In, precisely Godard's intention. Even mm. after the success of Breathless, he said he hoped that um, people would hate his second film and that was back in <laughs> 1960. So yeah. you can imagine you know, where Which he's at right now. Which one was the second one again? Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> his follow-up. Yeah, I, I look, it's, it, I'm it, having it a mental It was a really blank. quick period though. Like he, he did so many yes. films yeah, in yeah, that's a right. very short Especially time Especially in that frame. era. Yeah. yeah. Through the 60s and very quickly moved through different political movements as well. So as you mentioned last time I was here, we, we talked about the period of La and the whole Maoist thing and once again you've got this kind of revolutionary wearing a suit and tie you know it's this it's it's not your yeah. average kind of Che Guevara kind of thing happening where he's in the street um you know well he, he did a bit of climbing of the barricades but it almost seems somewhat ridiculous mm-hmm. and likewise now I mean effect, effectively in the image book he's calling for revolution but he's appealing not to the masses but to a very kind of elitist bunch of hardcore cinephiles <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting way to go about things I, if I'm just imagining what a Goddard film would be that would appeal to the masses, if mm. that's even a possibility. I don't know. That's right. Well, look, I mean... In, in his... Because he's developed 
yes. to something that's so different. That's right. I think there are there are varying moments of accessibility, but it's that that really it's the accessibility that is really becoming more and more problematic uh, for mainstream yeah. audiences. Um, I may well be a, a Goddard heathen because I love Breathless. I think it's a fantastic film. And I even asked the students <laughs> the other day, why is this film so cool? It's still yeah. so cool after all this time. Um, even though, you know, Godard swiftly moved away from that. But I think also, like, some of his late 60s stuff was really quite fascinating and that, that kind of marks the end of the period where you can detect a faint trace of a narrative mm. and character development. From there, things started getting much more experimental and there's definitely a place for that kind of cinema in the world. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's got to the point where, uh, as one critic said about his latest film, only Godard could have made that film <laughs> and got away with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Well, I did watch the trailer and... Mm. I could see development in some kind of ideas or at least connections between the mm. varying film clips that he'd put together. Definitely. Um, and I don't even know whether he there is some kind of special meaning that he put in it, but whether he wants us to put our meaning into mm. it. I know that sounds horribly contemporary art, but <laughs> when I watch his films, even those documentary-style films that were a little bit more out there mm. that were looking at, like, industry yes. in France, which was, was one of the most moving things I've ever seen was the industrial films he's made, mm. I could still get meaning from just big shots of pylons and yeah. people working, workers mm. working on sites and, you know... I just feel like there is a lot more going on underneath. Definitely. And I think, yes, it's not it's not a random series of images. Yeah. I mean, Godard is all about the, the montage, the editing of films. Then like, that's the kind of the point of construction. That's where you make the film. And the, the word in French really does kind of have this, this notion of putting the film together. And definitely, I think one of the things that, uh, that Godard can be... Um, you know, appreciated for is the fact that he, he completely rejects this notion like in typical Hollywood films you're pretty much told what to think and there's no way around it. You know, you're given a complete kind of moral landscape. Here are the good guys, here are the bad guys and there's no room to move. Mm. Um, so even though his politics, I must say, is increasingly kind of totalitarian in that there's no escaping the fact that he's got a particular message to get out there and Chabrol, of course, would be dead set against that notion. Yeah. Um, you, still, you, you still have some work to do. He's not telling you what to think, how to think. He's giving, once again, this kind of... I, I think it's, it, it really is film art. It is, it's, a, it's, it's a kind of a, um, a canvas that he has put, you know, kind of abstract impressionistic um, material onto and it's still up to us to piece those bits and pieces together, mm. most definitely. Let's jump a little bit back to Chabrol because I wanted to explore some of the themes that I think he mm. has uniquely been exploring that sometimes he's been not necessarily criticised for but it's been a, a point of discussion around his portrayal of homosexuality and relationships between same-sex people yes. and also threesomes and, you know... Like and anything goes. Anything, and mm. yes. And that's not necessarily that surprising in French culture. Mm. But one of the films that is really interesting for that purpose and also La Ceremonie, which we have just been mm. speaking about, has all those kind of... Yeah, I think it's suggested. Very suggestive. Yeah. Mm. And I loved that it was suggested mm. and not explicit because yep. it was so... It would have been massively unnecessary yes. to be explicit in that film. But there is one where it is fairly explicit, which is Les Biches, mm. and it's kind of translated to the Doze or... 
like what is your thought on the on the title of that because that's also a little bit yeah it's vague. it's an interesting one um yeah. because libish does in fact mean the doze mm. um but it also happens to be and i think this is where it's a bit more heavy-handed in this film but um uh Lesbish or lesbish is actually kind of um, a, a nickname or for lesbian. So oh, it's, really? I was wondering. There's a bit of a connection to be made there as well. Mm. And you can't always take what a film director says at face value, but Chabrol reckons that he just introduced that kind of same-sex relationship into the film to make it more interesting and more commercially successful. But <laughs> I don't think we can no. really take that at face value. Um, not a lot not of things you could take him at face value, no, though. No, I think he's, he's quite... a master manipulator yeah, exactly. <laughs> on and off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Mm. He's like, look over here, this is what it's, what's going to happen, and then bam. Yes, absolutely. The total opposite. Yeah, and he'd be loving every minute of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when I very briefly re-watched Le Biche, I didn't get to see the whole thing again, mm. but I wanted to refresh my my memory and you know even just the opening scene where they're on the bridge and um the young character well she's called why because that was just her <laughs> response to what's your name um <laughs> but she was drawing in chalk this like picture yes. of a doe mm. like and then we have this beautiful french woman mm. um frederic yes. who is substantially older and more mature mm. and um and why is just so hard to gauge yes like definitely. and very um unlikable in a way like she's quite defensive or mm. like whenever someone tries to engage with her she kind of deflects or yes. tries to start an argument or says i'll mm. fight you or yeah. but then she does the opposite yeah it's interesting isn't it it's a it's a wonderful opening scene that mm. one because so much can be interpreted from those characters and i, I read one um critique of the film which was um particularly um, interesting in terms of the positioning of the characters there because you've got Frédéric in her big kind of long coat, the dark coat, of course. Colour yes. is very important. And fur. And, and fur as well. Uh, and standing, um, so in a position of, of domination and the very submissive or relatively submissive at this stage anyway, why, who's, who's um, crouched down on the ground. And um, from that point onwards, we've got a very clear dynamic in the relationship, which is eventually, well... Let's just say it may or may not be overturned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and a man may chuck a spanner in the works as yes. well, which is and who other tragic? Jean-Louis Jean Trintignant, <laughs> he's uh, the expert. He's the go-to token token male in any film. I love of that it. Era. Yeah, he's just he does weird so well. And once again, with that kind of veneer of normality, he's not a particularly bizarre-looking fellow, um, but he just seems to play these roles where underneath that surface there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. Mm. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he, he has a role to play in this film, but it really is about the, the two women. The women, yeah. exactly, which is mm. what I loved about it yes. when I saw it or probably 10 years ago, I just went, oh, breath of fresh air. Yes, definitely. It's something driven by women, about mm. women about women's relationships and lives, but not in a very typical way at all. Mm. Um, I, I just saw in the book I was reading that Chabrol called Paul, which is the man in this triangle, a man object. <laughs> That's great. Which is excellent. Um, <laughs> and that he's a conduit for the expression of women's complex emotions. Mm. Wonderful. I think Isn't that quite absolutely. progressive? I think, I think for its time too, it was pretty out there. Um, yeah. 
I remember you saying that you studied that film at, at one stage and, and I can imagine that it would have been considered quite out there for the time. Yes, this um, is 1968. 1968, so okay. From, in from, France it's very progressive because yes, as we know, definitely. for women in France in the 1960s, mm. they were still quite behind their female counterparts here and even in America That's on a right. range of issues like contraception, exactly. property, voting. That's right. A lot, a lot of that was still to come mm. in France. So I think it was, you know, as is typical of our artists and filmmakers, just really avant-garde for the time. And quite, you know, quite a quite a bold statement from, from Chabot as well to go in that direction. Very bold, mm. yeah. So if we're looking at his oeuvre... Yes, um, and I'm glad you said that, Amy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're looking at, if, you know, picking favourites or just highlighting ones mm. that we think stand out. What would your go-to be? Yeah, I think apart from the ones that we've mentioned, yeah. I think um, other ones that would spring to mind would be um, L'Enfer from the mid-90s, which is another one that I think is in the lineup for, the, is, yeah, yeah. for this retrospective, um, which uh, according to Rotten Tomatoes has a 100% critical oh. rating, so that's pretty good. Hello. There aren't too many. That's one of his most critically acclaimed works. Yeah. And that's with François Cluzet and Emmanuel Béart, so kind of in their prime as well. Um, and the other one that I, I mentioned indirectly before was one from the late 80s. It's, it's called Mask. So Masks is, kind of says it all. It kind of yeah. gets back to what we've been talking about all the way through. And that's with um, Philippe Noiret as a game show host. And <laughs> you probably would have noticed in, in our late night binge viewing that yes. um, Chabrol doesn't shy away from incorporating television, people often mm. watching television. And he's very aware already of you know, different forms of media and he doesn't, he's quite mocking about it but realises that people are spending, you know, a lot of time watching television. You know, compared to where we're at now with YouTube, <laughs> things have really exploded on that front. But this is, um, Philippe Marley plays this uh, kind of corrupt game show host and it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, the, the final scene of that film where he addresses the, the audience through the camera, mm. you know, which is explainable because he's a TV host, uh, is really quite remarkable. And of course, there's all the kind of crime and intrigue and once again, the kind of cheesy veneer of um, you know, a television game show is uh, very subtly undone and that kind of interesting mix between subtlety and, you know, a spectacular kind of skewering of, of the, the social class that he's really taking aim at. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many. <laughs> That's right. it's, I think it'd be hard to stumble across a really bad one, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. I mean, they're they're kind of because he was so prolific. I mean, there are many that kind of get that kind of fall by the wayside, I guess. But but certainly those ones. Um, the other one would be another one that he did with Sandrine Bonner, Au Cœur du Mensonge, which I think is. Um, I can't recall the English title. I think it's in the Cinematheque lineup, but I'm not too sure. But with Sandrine Bonner, who's who's another you know wonderful actor, who's also capable of of having this kind of um, well respectfully conventional beauty about her, but she plays really really edgy characters. Mm. So she was the main star of Agnès Varda's um, Vagabond in the mid '80s as well. So this very very marginal character who just refused to conform. Um, she was essentially a homeless person wandering around France and just every opportunity that presented itself for her to, um, to become part of conventional society, she rejected. So fascinating, a bit like Isabelle Huppert, um, yeah. who did seven films with Chabrol as well. So That's any wild. of them with Isabelle Huppert in it, I would strongly recommend mm. because she's just an absolute master at, at what we're talking about, this veneer of normality and this, this really kind of seething... 
um, underworld in the psyche <laughs> that um, that bursts to the surface at uh, often quite short notice. Yeah, very short notice <laughs> in terms of last ceremony. Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> wow. I actually think that I'm not going to say what happens, but the thing, the things that happen are spectacularly done, just yes. like so well done. Yeah. And acted. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, that's often hailed as one of his masterpieces, Les Ceremonies. So that's definitely up there as one to check out yeah. during this retrospective. Just go to all three <laughs> sessions. <laughs> like there's, I think it's six films in total. So two yeah. each Wednesday evening yes. at Acme. It's really yeah, it's not wonderful. a... Yeah, it's easy to get to. It's very definitely. affordable. Yeah, and we're very lucky to have it. So lucky. Yeah. And just I think, and perhaps you might have a, a better understanding given that you're screening these films mm. for students as well that when they're projected on the big screen it also takes on another quality definitely absolutely i mean these are films made for the big screen um that you know shabal would have had the opportunity to go into television if he wanted to but no these this is definitely cinema yeah (laughs) true cinema absolutely no it's beautiful and um just before we end i was intrigued that i saw the Flowers of Evil, Lefleur mm. de Mal, in yeah. his uh, filmography. Yes. What was that about? Because obviously Charles Baudelaire was uh, wrote great yes. poems by the same name. Yeah, that's right. I think it's just indicative of the fact that he wasn't um, he wasn't going to shy away from dealing with some you know heavy literary canons of French culture. Um, so Madame Bovary was another one that we mentioned earlier, mm. and that's no exception. So he he's not afraid of trying his hand at these things and. Um, and yes, I think it was, it's just testimony to his, you know, kind of subtly experimental style, kind of pushing himself to engage with material that, you know, he doesn't fully own. Yeah, it's mm. so great that yes. he had that gusto yeah, to absolutely. do it. Andrew, it's once again been such a pleasure and delight to speak with you. you, And I really appreciate your enthusiasm and expertise on French New Wave. Well, likewise. (laughs) Thank you for being a defender of the cause. Oh, I so will any day. Happy to take it up. (laughs) It's great. I've been speaking with Dr Andrew McGregor, who is a lecturer in French studies at the University of Melbourne. Not only does he obviously understand the language, but of French culture, particularly cinema. So we're very lucky. And I believe... Andrew, can you make sure you tell me what is the day of the Q&A for the Goddard screening? This Thursday. This Thursday. Absolutely. This Thursday at Palace Como. Great. So if anyone wants to see the image book and Mm. then have Andrew talk about it and hopefully help you through the experience, (laughs) do go along. (laughs) Certainly. You're very welcome. (laughs) Great. And also, if you want to check out the Melbourne Cinematheque season for Claude Chabrol, it's The Unblinking Gaze of Claude Chabrol, March 27 to April 10. And you can look at all up on their website to see the different films that will be showing.